Welcome to Burn It All Down, the sports podcast you need. It's Amira here, and I am joined by the one and only Jessica Luther. Hey, Jess. Hi, Amira. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I am excited, too, because me and Jessica have been waiting what has felt like forever in reality is basically three weeks to do this episode (laughs) we're going to do today. All about Formula One. Yes, now maybe you're long-term Formula One fans and you are now sitting up, turning the volume up, and you're like, finally, it's taken five years. (laughs) If you are about to hit pause because you have no idea why we're so excited to talk about F1, do not turn this (laughs) off. Come with us on this adventure and maybe you, too, will become an F1 fan. But before we get into all of that fun motor racing, first of all, my voice, Jessica, is such a mess because I have spent the last four or five days screaming at Samari's shows. Um, She had her Back to Broadway showcase with her pre-professional theater company. Jessica went with me on opening night. I was screaming. Then, of course, I went to the Austin FC game last night, which was a fever dream. It was chaos. Um, So I also lost my voice there. So that's why I sound a little bit raggedy. So Samari had this great show. It was all these Broadway numbers from a million different shows. Mm -hmm. Like she sang um, a featured role in McCavity, which is the coolest Cats has ever been, in my opinion. It was wonderful. Like Samari actually like came out center stage microphone in her leather pants yep a little mirror there on the stage it was wonderful and there's a moment in the show and i said jessica this is from evita and you turned to me and you were like oh i know (laughs) so i want to know about your love of the stage well it's so interesting because i was obviously prepping for this and i was thinking that all my answers here i want to just preface with the fact that like My favorite Broadway songs were absolutely set when I was like 15 years old. (laughs) Also, shout out to my best friend in high school, Laura Coffin, who introduced me to a bunch of stuff and like totally fostered uh, this part of my musical knowledge. Um, And in the showcase, they sang Home. That's how the whole thing ended from The Wiz. And this isn't the Broadway version, but the Diana Ross version from the movie Just... I listened to it again last night. I was walking the dog and crying. Like, it is just hope in a song. The way that Diana sings it is so lovely. And it just makes my heart sore. But then maybe this is, like, really obvious for being 15 in 1995. But one of my most favorite songs in the whole world is All I Ask of You from Phantom, which is Christina Raul. And there's this perfect moment. It's from the London cast recording um, and I, I don't know who they were, but there's a part of the song where Christine says, say you love me. And then he immediately comes in and the it's so soft and perfect. And he says, you know, I do. <laughs> ah, when I was 15, I was like, if I can capture that love in my own life, <laughs> I will be I will be set every time that gets me. And then I will say the one thing I never saw on stage and I really wish that I had is uh, Jekyll and Hyde, because I still to this day don't understand how the song Confrontation works, (laughs) where he is both Jekyll and Hyde and sings as if he has two people, 
Like I just, I want to, I tried to watch it online and like the only version was David Hasselhoff <laughs> and that was not, not what you're great. For. <laughs> it wasn't quite what I wanted. So, but I can remember just listening to Confrontation over and over and over and over again and being like, how, how, how? Uh, and so it was really fun to revisit that. How about you? Yeah, I'm basic. Like Seasons of Love will always be yeah. like they, they did a rendition of it in Samari's show. Um, and first of all, let me just say, yeah, these kids are like they weird. Can, they're they're good. so fucking talented. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't stress to you how good these kids are. They're not even like you forget that they are like teenagers mm-hmm. because it's just the power and their voices and their dancing. They're so good. Um, but Seasons of Love always, always gets me. No Day But Today was um, what I like quoted in my senior quotes in high school. Mm. And I remember because the movie was coming out. And so I dragged my friends to go see it. And they were not musical theater people <laughs> oh, at boy. all. And so it starts, <laughs> A, they're singing all the time. And B, it's like AIDS, death. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. They looked at me. They're like, what the hell do you have us at? I remember that. Um, so one of the things that they do at the show is every senior basically has a really big solo moment and stuff like that. So after Samari was saying, I wonder what I'll get for my senior showcase, which is in four years, but we know we'll go by in a blink of an eye. And she was like, I really want um, Waiting for Life to Begin from Once on This Island, which I will lose it because that song I love. I don't know that at all. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's a fun song, but it's like full of hope. And desire to like see mm. the world and want more from where you are and stuff like that. Just the thought of her singing that right when she's like gonna go to college, like, oh my god, I won't you just have to sweep up me from the floor. I'll do but it. But I was I'll so excited that you got to come with me because it's like much like watching a sports match for me when Samari is performing. Like I'm too stressed. Yeah, to you enjoy. were very stressed. I was very stressed. I was just like, <laughs> which is good that I was like going. The three times I did go, each time gets a little easier. It was great. Like, they encouraged us from the jump to cheer, like, as the kids are performing. So, you know I did. Yeah. Uh, like, I, was, I was giving it back to these kids because they were just fabulous. And, like, I, of course, came home and listened to Evita. <laughs> well, the last thing I say is I said to Samari, um, she had to swing for Hamilton. So she was trying to figure out when she would get her mic. And I was like, oh, you'll probably get it at halftime. And she was like... Uh, what a sports <laughs> reference how embarrassing for you that you just said that and I was like I'm not really embarrassed actually because I can like have the range to do musical theater and and sports but so now we jokingly call intermission halftime so Jessica it has arrived Formula One racing it is a motorsport in which they drive cars Wicked fast all over the world. It has been a wild ride since we've got into this sport and we've gotten to it right in time because there has been some really interesting Grand Prix happening. Of course, Miami was a few weeks ago in which we saw, well, the most chaotic paddock ever. All of these celebrities, Miami out in full force. Uh, it's always fun when a like supremely European sport does stuff in the United States because it's just embarrassing for us yep. <laughs> and we're saying this from austin that oh. has the permanent f1 track here in the in the country so first and foremost yes it's cars and what you're competing with is for two different championships the first championship is a driver's championship that's for individual driver 
And then the Constructors Championship are for the team that has the most points at the end of the season. What that looks like in practice, there's 10 teams. Each team has two drivers um, and you gain points for top 10 finishes. Um, first place gets way more points <laughs> than anybody else. And they pick up and they move to a different racetrack every week, basically every two weeks sometimes, um, and set it up there, race there. And then the next week they're off to a new location. So this past weekend, of course, the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona, it's one of the oldest races in the Grand Prix in the circuits for Formula One. Um, it has a lot of kind of lore behind it. And it had drama behind it too, which as you'll come to know about F1 is- All drama. It's all drama. <laughs> um, and so the weekend begins on Friday with a practice run and then qualifying happens on Saturday. Um, and then the race is on Sunday. So I got up early all these past days to to check it out. It was 8 a.m. Central Time um, for the race on Sunday. We saw the leader, Charles Leclerc, driving for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc. <laughs> he says it both ways. He says it both ways. We're just going <laughs> to go with it. And he was off to such a strong start. It looked like a leisurely stroll. He was like running his own race. Just basically. chilling by himself. And his Ferrari. That's important. And then he had to retire the car. The gearbox just, it just stopped. Stopped working. The power. Which is something that happens in, in Formula One. Like, yeah. Your engine just stops, so your gearbox just is like, nope. Yeah, your your brakes go out. You can't stop your car. And so he had to leave the race, which was really sad. And so it became, uh, the race looked like for second and third. All of a sudden it became for first and second. Um, you had the two Red Bull cars with Max Verstappen and, you know, defending world champion. And Sergio Perez um, were going back and forth with George Russell, who is driving for Mercedes now. And it was a few laps of pure joy watching them jockeying for position. <laughs> but the Red Bulls were able to pull strategy and basically allow themselves to work together to box out George Russell. Um, and then they called a team strategy and let Max go ahead. And he ended up taking um, the podium, followed by Checo Perez, and then George Russell rounded it out. Lewis Hamilton was bumped in the first turn, fell all the way to 19th, was bumped by Kevin Magnuson, um, fell all the way to 19th, had significant damage on the car, heard over the radio he wanted to retire the car. His team said, no, we think you can finish eighth. Uh, he drove some of the fastest laps right at the end there and actually finished fifth. Both Mercedes had a coolant problem with their fuel. Water was leaking into the fuel pump. It yeah. spent the last few laps of the race just trying to hang on to their positions. George was able to hang on to third, but Carlos Sainz bumped up over Hamilton into fourth. So your top five were Max, Checo, George Russell, Carlos Sainz Jr., and then Lewis Hamilton in fifth. Jessica, what were your reactions to some of the Spanish uh, Grand Prix action that we saw this weekend? Well, it's wild. It was very hot in Barcelona, so the tires were having a lot of trouble. A lot of the cars, they were going to pit twice and ended up having to pit three times in order to keep up with the tires melting <laughs> on, on the asphalt. Uh, I mean, Hamilton was amazing. I want to shout out Fernando Alonso, who's like deep veteran of the sport who started P20, which means he was last place. He made it all the way up to P9 in a 
Alpine car. Uh, I mean, what Hamilton did was spectacular, but he also was driving a Mercedes. So there is a an advantage to that fact. Um, Russell drove out of his mind <laughs> at certain points, keeping Max back. I don't know if this is like, we'll talk about this in a minute, but uh, if if the show on Netflix has made me, if, if it's the reason that Max makes me so nervous because of season four, he makes me so nervous. Like I was just so sure he was going to clip George and that we were going to see something terrible, but we didn't. Um, and I will just say like, you already said this, but it is just wild that the cars break. They're just like Charles out there just driving a car and then all of a sudden the car does not work anymore. So as you can tell, like the F1 cars, it's not like stock cars um, in NASCAR. Each team has a separate car. Uh, and so they get to, under the regulations, do what they can to make it as fast as they can. And we saw with Max, there's something called DRS drag reduction systems but the drs is like this flap at the back of the car that they can open at certain points and it allows them to get like an additional 20 kilometers per hour for you know just a set amount of time and max was just it wasn't working (laughs) and he was so angry and i was like wow you can just like you can have all this money and all these experts and like your drs just doesn't open um, but Max, like at one point he was, he was so angry. Apparently he was like pushing the button like over and over again. So he was like opening and closing it. And his engineer was like, please push it once. <laughs> <laughs> um, so me and Jessica are of course armchair experts now, despite knowing nothing about this sport, probably eight <laughs> weeks ago, uh, we both came into the sport because of Netflix drive to survive, which we'll talk about in a minute, but we have spent the last few weeks really reading everything we can about the sport, going full throttle into it. So we are here, Tressa, also to help explain the sport, um, because now we're so far in, we don't know what is known about it or not. So at this point, do you have any questions about F1 racing? I do. (laughs) This is very basic. Um, I'm wondering how long these races are, because my Dad is a big NASCAR fan, so I grew up watching him watch those, which are like hours, and it's like all afternoon. And is that what this is? No. No. <laughs> it's like two hours. They are fast and speedy. It's really the kind of three-day thing. So on Friday, you have practice, um, and then on Saturdays, you have qualifying, and these are also short kind of things yeah, you watch like in the morning. Minutes. 45 minutes. But it's really important because it's what determines your position for the start of the race. And there's actually drama in that because there's three qualifying rounds. Qualifying one, Q1, all 20 cars. You're going around and you're trying to log your fastest lap, but there's a timed component to it. So all the cars have a certain amount of time to try to get their fastest lap in. The last five cars, they have positions 20 through 15 on the grid. They don't get to move on to Q2. Q2, the second qualifying round, you have less time to log your fastest lap. And they do it again, where the last five there, they're assigned grid positions 14 through 11. They are not invited to the last Q3 qualifying round. That's where the top 10 cars have a short amount of time to log their fastest lap. Um, And that determines grid position, pole position. Obviously, if you're fighting for points, you want to be one, two, three, right? That's a good part. You don't want to be in the middle of a pack. It gets really scratched up there. But The go is so dangerous. The first, like, 
15 seconds of the race. Merge. It just can be real chaos. Yeah. So qualifying is an event in, in and of itself. And like qualifying can be really dramatic because if you don't time it right, like a lot of people try to get a lap in, see where the other times are, change their tires, and have enough time to log the fastest time without leaving any time for other teams to do so. But also you can get stuck in traffic. You get stuck like, in traffic. Like there could just be cars on the track and they've got to get out of your way and stuff, but still you're like dealing with it. And this Saturday we saw one car mistime it, so then they didn't get to log their last lab. Which is another wild thing about F1 is these, like they have hundreds of people who are working on these teams and then they will make basic mistakes. Real basic shit. Putting on two left tires, not fully securing. Pit stop should take two seconds. Yeah. Literally. Or just like they miss time. Like some somehow get yeah. the timing off. It's hard. It's like it, it, that's how hard this is. And then Sunday when you see the actual race, this is actually one of the longer races we just saw, the Spanish Grand Prix. And it's like two hours, really. Um, So it was 66 laps. So it's fast, but it's also three days. Mm-hmm. It's a whole event. And they're like... There's other races happening beforehand. Like there's other levels um, of there's like F2. But yeah, it's it's basically this three day event. But like I said, me and Jessica both uh, came into this sport, like many people in the United States at least came into the sport, which was through Netflix Drive to Survive show. There are four seasons out right now. It is fun. It's so good. It's so wild. addictive. Don't start it unless you're ready. And I just have to say, Jessica started it before I did. And then when she started texting me about it, I did it. And then I lapped her. Amira's very competitive. So I knew that if I told her I'd started it, that I would get a companion. (laughs) And I finished it before her and then had to wait in absolute agony for two days until she Mm -hmm. finished the show Mm -hmm. as well. But that is how we came to it. And so what this show does is it follows around Formula One. It starts with the 2018 season. Then you have the 2019 season. Then you have the pandemic season where we literally see COVID come in, shut everything down. And then everybody's back on screen with masks. It's kind of wild to watch the world change. Um, And then the fourth season is about last year. And they're filming season five right now. Yep. And they have a season six that's already been commissioned or agreed on or whatever you call it. Um, So the show features interviews with drivers, with team principals, which are like the people who manage the entire teams. Um, They have journalists featured. They also do lots of race footage that includes radio calls between the drivers and their engineers the reactions to the race in the paddock. They followed their parents. We see some girlfriends and wives, including um, one very famous wife who is, you know, a Spice Girl. Her cameos are lots of fun. Which they don't even tell you till season two. I was watching with Aaron and I was like, there's a Spice Girl. And he's like, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> like the show in season one is not interested in that particular aspect of her existence. So the show starts that first season very uh intriguingly doesn't focus on the top it focuses on the middle pack it looks at the fight to be the best of the rest um so it's looking at the teams fighting for fourth place and that's really interesting way to start a show and drop you in because there's only 10 teams right this is not a sport in which if you're coming into it you have a lot a lot of you know if you were coming into learning about the W, that would be 144 athletes alone. We're talking about 10 teams, 20 drivers, right? Other personalities around that, right? But that's how we got into this. Um, And I wanted to ask you, Jazz, 
What have you learned about F1 racing from the show that has surprised you? Yeah, well, I mean, this is so basic and we've said it already like seven times, but there's only 20 F1 drivers in the whole world at any one time. What a tiny insular little world. So you can you can see how there would be so much drama within this highly competitive, big moneyed international sport. The other thing that I find endlessly interesting, and the the show just drives this into the ground, your biggest competitor is often your own teammate because they're the only person on the track with the same car as you. So if you want to see how well you're doing, the only person you can one-to-one compare yourself to is your teammate. And so there's just inherent drama within the teams themselves. And as you talked about with Checo and Max at Red Bull this time around, like them asking Sergio to move over so Max could go by. Like he was clearly unhappy about that dis- that team decision. He did it. He was a good team player. Uh, but even those interdynamics of the teams themselves, it's not like a rah-rah, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, it's interesting in season two when you first get Mercedes, which is Lewis Hamilton, which is the only driver I knew, and you don't even see him on camera until season two. He has Valtteri Botas as his second. And they they try really hard to be like, there's no second driver. There's no first driver. Both drivers are equal. But then they'll do things like say race strategy. You need to let your teammate go behind yeah. like, in front of you because we think they have a better chance of winning the race. Yeah. It's like Max is clearly the number one driver at Red Bull. <laughs> like, obviously. And so it's just interesting, like Botas, like having to navigate as a second driver and like what that means and I will say I'm I'm in love with Lewis Hamilton and I'll just put that out there right now I like at this point he can do no wrong for me um the way he speaks so highly of Valtteri because as Amira said um it's not just the individual drivers trying to win championships these constructors championships of the team you need both people to do well in order to get as many points as possible in the constructors cup and as Lewis is winning championship after championship, they're also winning the constructors because Valtteri Botas is so good as a second driver on that right. team coming in second and third to Lewis all the time. Uh, and so you have this, I mean, Lewis is sad when Botas leaves the team, like the way he speaks about him. You see with him too, like with Botas, he, he's trying to, the psychological aspect of it, of being the perpetual second, it's not easy to drive behind one of the greatest drivers. Of all time, like most decorated. Yeah, when Toto Wolf, who is this Austrian guy that runs Mercedes, and he's Austrian in the way that Arnold Schwarzenegger, like he sounds like him. Um, when he tells George Russell that he's going to come to Mercedes, the way he says it is, the bad news is you're going to run, you're going to be on the same team as Lewis Hamilton. Right. The good news is that you'll be in a Mercedes. And I have to say, this is one of the things that's really interesting about watching it in real time while you're also watching the sport, is that we're seeing this season already play out like the actual sporting season where George Russell has been able to work with the car a little bit better than Hamilton this year and is finishing just in front of him. You know, like I said, he got third at the Spanish Grand Prix and Hamilton was in fifth. So we will see going forward that Mercedes team is suddenly very interesting. So I kind of understand the team thing, but I don't. I can understand how two cars can work together to like block other teams and like benefit themselves. But also you said their their biggest competitor is their teammate. Why would I actually care about winning the team cup? Do I get more money from winning the team cup or does it guarantee our team to be in mm-hmm. the next year's 
whatever. I guess yeah, like it's all it's, it's all, all of, of it. what you said. But I think the ego thing that we have to remember is that every year the teams create their own cars and you have that new car for the year. That is your 2018 car, your 2022 car. So if you get B, if you if you drive if you drive a Williams, right, or a Haas or whatever, right, and you are getting beat by people driving Ferrari or Mercedes, the big money, big team, you're like, eh, like, what, am, what, can, what can I, I do? do about I, it? They're Mercedes. I need a bigger car. Yeah. But if you, you are getting beat by your teammate, there's nothing you can point, you know what I mean? And like sometimes psychologically, that is like the biggest thing because you're also driving for a contract. Jess said there's only 20 seats in this sport. Sometimes it is a contractual thing. We see early on in the season, for instance, the contract that, that Red Bull gave to Max when he was first coming into F1 eclipsed his then teammate, Danny Ricardo. Um, and Danny actually chose to leave Red Bull, but one of the discussion points that they were covered like in that moment was how it was hard to watch that investment in the future eclipse what you feel like you have proven already as a veteran driver um and so it works the best obviously if you guys are finishing one two two three that's but if one person is finishing in the top 10 in points and the other one's not like it can be very hard and one of the things that this brings up for me one of the interesting dynamics within the team and you see this a lot with ricardo this is like the narrative around this australian driver daniel ricardo who's a character he's great television is that he like jumps from different like within the four years he's at three different teams maybe um and so when he leaves renault to go to mclaren he announces at the beginning of the season so before he's this entire season goes by where he's racing for Renault with them all knowing that he will be leaving at the end of the year to go to McLaren. It's just so damn dramatic. Like talk about like real housewives of F1. These men, uh, there's this whole thing of they're like crying about the fact that he's leaving the family, right? Just constant like, but then there's so many times when these principals just fire drivers, they're like, and you're gone. <laughs> um, you're not good enough. You're leaving. Like, there is no actual loyalty in, in the sport. Because sometimes it's straight up, like, they needed sponsorship money to keep the team afloat. Who has money? Lance Stoll has money. Yeah, his daddy is a billionaire. Right. Because his dad's going to fund the team, so you get a seat on the team. There's Russian oligarchs who appear, right? Because yeah, their son, their little mini-me. Want their son <laughs> to have a seat. And so if you have two drivers and you can get a new dump one of them for a new driver that's also going to bring in sponsorship that's going to save your team, essentially. Um, we see that where you're replacing drivers. You get all the narrative of like, our families are being, it's like a divorce. Yeah. I think Christian Horner, the principal at Red Bull, talks about the Renault thing as a divorce. And I was like, sure, but this is so normal in your sport. So like. And they're all right on the paddock together. It's, it's so very, tiny, a tiny little world. But I do have to say, so Jessica said, talking about Danny Ricardo, it's great TV. And so I do want to address the fact that what we are watching is a show. It has brought in a lot of viewers. F1 has long, it's a very European, very European sport. Um, but they have tried to break into the United States market for a while. Obviously, here in Austin, we have CODA. That's the Circuit of the Americas. This was the first year since the 80s where there was two F1 races in the United States during this season. 
with Miami, and then later this year it will be in Austin. Next year, they're also doing a race in Las Vegas, and this is very much a part and parcel of the growth of fandom that has happened here. And a lot of that, um, both people who run F1 and producers of the show have pointed to the success of the Netflix series. Worked on us. Yeah, it certainly did. When we, it's a top 10 status in over 56 countries. It has a huge audience. Um, They noticed that when they went to Austin for the Grand Prix this past year, that Tickets sold out in record time. The hotel sold out in record time. And they just, a lot of people anecdotally were mentioning how the show brought them into this because you get access to all of the teams on this show. Um, And yet there are still some people who you can see have a love-hate relationship with the show. Max Versapin, um, all of last year, most of the season last year features rivalry between him and Lewis Hamilton. He refused to grant access. So we don't have those interviews that we had with Max, like we had in the first few seasons. Um, but I find it funny when he talks about it, he's saying, well, I don't like it cause it's over dramatic, but he goes, it wasn't really about my characterization. He's definitely like Darth Vader, of yeah, the show. Yes. but they're like, it, he was like, it's not about my characterization. Like, let's be clear. I didn't like how how they made Lando look like an asshole, which is like, LOL, because Lando Lando looks like a cutie, like you want to squeeze his cheeks. Jessica, (laughs) he said they made Lando and Danny kind of look like dicks, and they are nice, and I didn't like that for them. I was like, Max, (laughs) like, let's, Max, (laughs) let's be real. Lando does not come off like that at all, and Danny absolutely does, but Danny plays into it 100%. Yeah, Danny knows what he's doing. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And Danny gives so much access. Like, we see his parents. We see him, like, playing basketball. Like, Danny is, yeah, he is into it, as far as you can tell. So I think it's going to be interesting moving forward, right, this tension between this access, this idea about over-dramatization, but the fact that it is absolutely bringing people in. You can already see this divide between people who are like, I'm true F1 fan, and this is blah, 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 you know, and, like... I think it's, you know, one of these familiar things about like when and where you enter a sport and and how you start liking it. But I think that it's very clear that viewership, especially here in the United States, is up. Uh, The show continues to be widely popular. That being said, Jessica, I want to know what we want to see more of. Yeah, I have criticisms of how the show handles Lots of different things. Like, we can certainly talk about Lewis Hamilton and race. He's the only black driver ever in F1. Like Me and Jessica were in season one, and I read the episode descriptions ahead, and I text Jessica, I have to wait to episode 10 of season three to hear Lewis Hamilton talk about being black? Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> the only black driver in the whole sport, and you get almost no acknowledgement of that. There's it's it, it just feels like it's a very white crew. It feels like it's a very male crew making this TV show. Uh, there are almost no women. I A journalist pops up in season three, a female journalist, as a talking head. And I was like, oh, they recognize there are almost no women in this show. Uh, in season four, Lewis Hamilton, when they go to the Middle East for a series of, of races, he starts wearing a rainbow helmet. And it's beautiful. And I remember turning to Aaron and I was like, I assume that is on purpose, that he is making a statement with that helmet in these races. And it, and he was. But the show gives no space for politics, uh, which is super interesting to me because F1 
itself is a super political, like talk about a mega event, the tra- traveling circus mega event that's going to all these places for lucrative reasons. Uh that have like lots of questions about how they're choosing these sites and how much the drivers are involved in those choices and how the, what the drivers feel about them. Uh, and none of that is addressed ever really on the show. Like it felt like season three, episode 10, the last six minutes they give to Lewis to talk about being black. It's like they knew they needed to because it was 2020 and all over yeah. the racetrack in racism, it was like after Floyd. you could yeah. visually see that F1 had responded to it uh, with the kind of they put in racism on everyone's like steering wheels or whatever. Uh, so you could read it. But the show like knew they had to not do something, but they clearly don't feel comfortable at all in that space. And it could be access. F1 would cut them off and we would have no more drive to survive. I'm not sure. But it definitely... Uh, is a concern and I really don't know what they're going to do with season five and how they're going to get around it at all. Yeah. And I think we saw some of that in season three too, because that's when the pandemic hits. And so like this kind of like who's shutting down, where are we shutting down? The fact that like all they do in this sport is travel. Right. Um, Like Jessica said, they don't deal with race. You see Checo who's Mexican. He talks a little bit about how hard it was to be a Mexican driver because it means you're leaving and you're going to Europe at a very young age. Daniel Ricardo left Australia <laughs> to go to Europe. Like it's absolutely the epicenter. If you want to cart, if you want to come up through the, through the ranks, you have Alex Alban, who is Thai. He talks about how you can only have one ethnicity in, mm. in F1 and like one flag that they ascribe to you. He's also British, but he races under the Thai flag. Yeah. And he talks about how he chose to race under the Thai flag and why. And like you, we meet his mom and his family. And I think that there's really interesting things that we care about in terms of the politics of the sport, even Force India, right? Where you get both politics and ethnicity wrapped into mm-hmm. one. But And big money. Like, Force India was a lot about, like... Huge financial considerations. There's also, like, the issue of climate change. Sebastian Vettel, who won four times and is still um, competing, he wore a shirt during the Miami Grand Prix this year that said Miami 2060, first Grand Prix underwater, act now or swim later. Like, he's been super outspoken about climate change, which, in all my reading about this, it's not the races themselves. It's not the actual going around (laughs) in a loop in these cars. It's the traveling uh, that is the real issue here. And, and F1 has said that they are trying and they've put out a huge report of all the stuff that they see that's wrong, that they're going to try to change in the next decade. Lewis, who speaks out about literally everything, uh, has said he doesn't think that's good enough, fast enough. Um, and so like we have climate change. We have these races in Qatar, which we've talked endlessly on this show about Qatar with the World Cup. Same things in F1. Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, uh, places that the drivers don't necessarily want to be. Lewis Hamilton has been the most outspoken about this. Apparently, in 2020, he wanted to speak to the ruling guy of Bahrain when he went there to address his concerns around human rights. And then he got COVID, and (laughs) Lewis did. So he wasn't able to do that. But um, you get a lot of, like, super weird shit from these white men about like we're helping to modernize these places by bringing um, they're talking about Saudi Arabia yeah like by bringing some cars and racing around in a circle and it's like calm down everybody (laughs) like you sound disgusting it is a really interesting space 
beyond even what's on this show. Even like how they did like the part with Lewis talking about being black in F1, they just like asked him about it. There was like heartbreaking footage of little eight-year-old Lewis talking about the names he was called on the racetrack, etc. But like what we're talking about is like analysis, right? It's like what does it mean for the one of the most decorated uh, drivers of all time, Lewis Hamilton, to be black, right? Um, the man is a seven-time world champion, would have been eight-time world champion and broken that record. He is tied right now with Schumacher, who's like a legend. His son is on the circuit now, you know what I mean? Um, and I feel like that is huge. Like, we know subtext. We know dog whistles. We know these things. And it's compounded by his greatness. It's giving Serena. It's giving Simone. It's giving undeniable, right? So you can't come at Lewis's racing, but you do get things about like, oh, like he thinks rules don't apply to him or he's this. And then it's like, Lewis is so nice. <laughs> nice. He seems like a nice dude. And and so I think that that's something of analysis. And, and the point on women, like, they are on the show, but you have to watch for them. Can we just say Toto Wolf's wife shows up? She's part of the Mercedes team. And they never once tell you that she was a fucking amazing driver herself. You get nothing about the fact that she is a total fucking badass. You just get her in relationship to Mercedes and her cur- and the fact that she is Toto's wife. Right. I mean, when I texted Amira, I was like, do you know about Toto's wife? Because, of course, I Googled her. And she was like, I know. I need a spinoff. And this is a great time to shout out that Jess interviewed Saber Cook um, um, a few years ago about racing in, in the W Series and about women in motorsports. And I think that there's so much territory there. Obviously, wouldn't surprise you that we're calling that out. But there, I see, I'm re-watching the show now, and I see, like... Um, Shots of women in the pit crew. Yes. First of all, I want a pit crew episode. Like, yes. give me a pit crew episode. Well, there's like that one black guy on the Red Bull pit. Yeah, that who is... I'm obsessed with. Yeah, I'm like, I would love and sit down with him, please. I want his episode. You know what I mean? But I also think like what like so much about the sport. Like when people get into it, it's because their godfather raced or their uncle raced or there's there's so much. I wouldn't even call it nepotism, but there's so many people who started racing because they were had proximity to it. It makes me so interested in the people who did not, right, to get to get into the sport. But then also a lot of the women who are there are connected in some way because they are the daughter of or they are the wife of, but they have their own relationship with the sport, their own racing history. We get Claire Williams a lot who's trying to continue her father's legacy of of the racing team. But there's so much more. Okay, Netflix producers, hi. Amir and Jessica here from Burn It All Down. Hire us because we clearly have things that we want to see on the show. But I I do have to say all these issues that Jessica laid out that go beyond the show that aren't documented there, they are there in Formula One. It's one of the things that makes us so enthralled by the sport. The races are fun to watch. The personalities, of course, are big and buoyant and, and also fun to grip into. And I'm also fascinated by little things like tech changes. Now we mm-hmm. see, they can see when the brakes are failing. They have all this information. And I have dug into F1 history because I wanted to know what it was like to race before they could see, right, that your gearbox was like doing this thing, right, through their fancy screens. Well, like I learned, Amira, that when there's a safety car and it goes to a yellow flag, that they are controlled. Their cars are controlled for speed so that they cannot go out over a certain speed. And that is like, that's fascinating. See, we have so much more to say because that we didn't even talk about how dangerous the sport is. I would say of all the sports we covered besides like gymnastics, 
this is a sport that also is up there for me in terms of like... There is an episode called Man on Fire in season and three. Yes. And that is all you need to know. It's very <laughs> apt description. Chasa, do you have any final questions? Have we convinced you to keep watching this show? Um, well, who's the Spice Girl? Oh, oh. <laughs> it's um, Ginger. It's Jerry. Yeah, Ginger. Jerry Hollowell. She's married to Christian Horner, the principal for Red Bull. And at one time you see him trying to do this stop right Stop, Stop right, right now. now. Thank, Thank you very much. much. You see him trying to do the choreography as they take a helicopter to her show, and she's mouthing to the camera, I work harder than him. And he's like, come on, Geraldine, you're going to be late to your own concert. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week, I interview former football player and current neurosurgeon, Dr. Myron Roll. The former Florida State standout takes us through his journey to Oxford, to the NFL, and into neurosurgery while previewing his new book, The 2% Way. Check it out on Thursday. It is now time for everyone's favorite segment, The Burn Pile. I will kick us off. I just am over college football coaches. Um, namely, <laughs> yeah, one, they're having a moment. <laughs> they're having a moment. One Nicholas Saban set everything on fire <laughs> in the worst way this past week by going on a rant about parody in football and name, image, and likeness, how it's ruining everything. He accused Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M of buying, quote, all of their players also stopped to call out Jackson State, saying they took a clear Division One player and flipped him by giving him millions of dollars. He was talking about Travis Hunter, a recruit from Florida State who decided to go to Jackson State and play under Deion Sanders. He does not, by the way, have a million dollars in name, image, likeness deal. He has maybe 250000 um, from a Black-owned Mississippi coffee brand <laughs> like <laughs> what are we talking about here obviously he's concerned about the end of parody because he has been so dominant in so long and it's just one of these things that like it doesn't even make me rage it makes me roll my eyes <laughs> because here's the thing about college football programs they find ways to spend money to look like they're not as lucrative as they are 
okay? They find ways to spend money because it creates an arms race, which has been, it's no different in terms of recruitment, right? If you go to Alabama, right, where they are so worried about parody and bullshit, their weight room looks like a spa. It has a mood lighting. It has a glowing A on the wall. It has some jet pools. LSU, you know, I think you can remember a few years ago when they had like these souped up like weird iPad locker room loungers at the same time that the university library was literally flooded. (laughs) So like, please spare me with your like Mm -hmm. holier than thou concern about the state of college football right now. I think there's certainly ways that we can talk about name, image, and likeness. I don't really care so much about it because I still think it's a band-aid for the overall issue of exploitation. But the point is that it got everybody in so much of a tizzy that they're standing out here in full hypocrisy, trying to act like they are the, the saints of college football when they have been doing versions of this for years. Everybody's going to Alabama because you have these facilities, because you trot them out, right? They're going to these schools because they show them the girls, because we, we know what you've done. And getting out here and whining is so disgusting, given how much money these coaches have made on the backs of exploited college athletes. Like, I literally can't deal with any of them saying anything and Saban walked back his comments and apologized to Jimbo and blah, 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 blah. Dion refused to pick up his call because he said, we don't need reasons for people to come to HBCUs. Um, They kind of just caught a stray in that rant that he went on, but it was very revealing, right? The idea that the only reason you would go to HBCUs because somebody was paying you millions of dollars, which really cuts to the heart of the fact that, well, if this is a resource issue, why are HBCUs under-resourced? Also, maybe people want to go there because at your PWIs, they're treated like blindside bullshit. Like, it's just ridiculous, is my point. All of them are showing their asses, which is unfortunately nothing new. But it's still burnable and it's very annoying. So burn. Burn. The girls on the Albany High Track team in Albany, New York, say that on May 11th, they were told by Albany School District Athletic Director Ashley Chapel that it was inappropriate for them to wear only sports bras during practice because it was distracting to their male coaches. That's it. That's the whole burn. Just kidding. Telling girls that they can't practice in sports bras because grown-ass men will be distracted is straight up disgusting. I'll note that a fair amount of these girls are black and that black girls are always policed harsher whenever whatever the set standard is. But in general, dress codes are always gendered and dress codes for girls are almost always about the apparently rampant and uncontrollable libidos of boys and men that can only be curbed if girls are forced to wear whatever someone imagines will tame those boys and men. Sounds like the problem is boys and men, but what do I know? According to one athlete, when the girls pressed the athletic director and pointed out that the boys were also running without shirts, Chapel countered that it was against the school's dress code because sports bras qualified as underwear and that you have to cover up underwear. But get this, the actual dress code does say that students cannot wear, quote, extremely brief garments, such as tube tops. But it does not say anything specifically about sports bras. This is just one woman's interpretation of the dress code. To resolve the issue, Chapel said that they all had to wear shirts, including boys, while working out. 
but kudos to these girls. They protested by showing up to practice the next day in just shorts and sports bras. While the boys who were without shirts were simply told by chapel to put them back on, the girls were told to go home. They returned later for a lacrosse match, many of them still in their shorts and sports bras. Security guards stopped them, and Chapel told them to leave again, still citing the dress code as a reasoning. The girls then created a petition on change.org. They were then suspended from practice and competition for three days, so they were able to get it reduced to one day. One student, though, apparently is still suspended indefinitely. And then (laughs) their parents received letters from chapel hand delivered to their homes saying the girls were being suspended for inappropriate and disrespectful behavior she said the girls were insubordinate by not putting their shirts back on she also claimed they used inappropriate and disrespectful language when they were asked to leave and quote cause a disturbance at a lacrosse game she concluded that based on all of this she believed the girls posed quote a continuing danger to persons or property or an ongoing threat of disruption to the academic and athletic process. Because they wanted to do fucking track practice in their sports bras. Like, that sounds wild to me when I say that out loud. The level that people will go to in order to make sure that girls know their place and the threats that their bodies contain by simply existing is extraordinary and it's fucking horrible. Cheers to these athletes for being insubordinate in the face of this discrimination and this misogynistic bullshit. For everything else, I want to burn it. (laughs) Everything they're up against. Let's just burn it. Burn. Burn. After all that burning, it is time to shout out some torchbearers of the week. Jess, who you got? Jake Daniels, a forward for Blackpool FC, a team in the second tier of English professional football, publicly disclosed last week that he is gay, making him the UK's first out male professional footballer since Justin Fashnow. In a piece he penned for Sky Sports, Daniels wrote, quote, Since I've come out to my family, my club, and my teammates, that period of overthinking everything and the stress it, ha- it created has gone. It was impacting my mental health. Now I am just confident and happy to be myself finally. I want to shout out Dallas Mavericks forward Reggie Bullock, who was named the NBA's 2021-2022 Social Justice Champion. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar presented the award to Reggie and cited his continued advocacy for the LGBTQ plus community as a reason for him being selected. Reggie does so in the memory of his sister, Mia Henderson, a trans woman who was killed in 2014. When he joined the Mavs in 2021, Reggie started working with groups including Abounding Prosperity, Dallas Southern Pride, House of Rebirth, the Black Tie Dinner, the Resource Center, and the Malaysia Booker Foundation. Congrats to you, Reggie. Well-deserved. And may Mia's memory continue to be a blessing. Leon defeated Barcelona 3-1 to win their eighth Champions League championship. Leon's manager, Sonia Bompastor, is the first woman to win the Champs League title as both a player and a coach. Spectacular, spectacular play from Leon this weekend. And now, a drum roll, please. Last week, U.S. Soccer announced a historic collective bargaining agreement with the U.S. Men's National Team and the U.S. Women's National Team. The two CBAs are economically identical. What does this mean? Equal pay. Here's how The Athletic broke this down. The CBAs have equal pay for every game played from friendlies to World Cups and other competitions. 
equal bonuses for game outcomes and World Cup participation, equal pay for every day in training camps, equal split of World Cup prize money with the two teams pooling then dividing their prize totals from 2022 and 2023 tournaments, and then in the future, 2026 and 2027. The equal split of commercial revenue share program with U.S. soccer and equal rate for tickets sold for games controlled by U.S. soccer. There is so much here to cheer for, although... I also like Midge Purse saying, my dad never told me to cheer for something that should have already happened, but acknowledging the long fight to get to this day, and also the fact that U.S. soccer will now provide childcare to the U.S. men's players during all training camps and match windows, something they've been providing to the U.S. women's national team for more than 25 years. So U.S., women's and men's national soccer teams and your collective bargaining agreements you are our torchbearers of the week what is good in your world going to samari's thing last week her performance was definitely a highlight for me it was a hard week uh Dog has double ear infections. My son got sick. He's tested negative for everything. Uh, But, you know, he was isolated for days. And then uh, Aaron got COVID. So he is also in isolation. uh, And just kind of dealing with all of that was very hard. So I'm really glad that in the middle of the week, I got to go and watch these kids perform their asses off and, and cheer for them. I also want to mention having a down moment with work. So I have time to like listen to podcasts that I just haven't been able to. And one of my favorite, I've mentioned it on this show before is Slate's podcast called Hit Parade. Uh, Chris Malamphy hosts it. It's all about pop charts, music charts, and the history behind them. And he is so smart. And I love listening to it. I learn all the time. And they just hit their five-year anniversary. They're almost exactly the same age as Burn It All Down. There's something really sweet about the fact that this podcast I love is the same age as Burn It All Down and getting to celebrate it at the same time. So that's Hit Parade. That is great. My what's good was Samari's show. And it was wonderful to see her grow so much. It's a really challenging, really intensive program. And it's just phenomenal to watch them do that and and blossom. Um, My mom's flew in for it. It was Um, just such a great week to see that culmination. And then of course, um, it was abruptly canceled moving into the weekend, the rest of the shows. And that was really hard. Lots of tears were shed, but it's okay. (laughs) There's five more days of school here in Austin, Texas. Um, Samari is five more days until she's done with middle school. Then I guess the eighth grade graduation thing. I don't know. Just Gemini season is here. Tressa, it's almost our birthday. But I guess my biggest what's good, which is also kind of bittersweet, of course, is I'm staying in Austin. I've accepted a faculty position at the University of Texas at Austin. Jessica's very happy. I've known about it for a while, so (laughs) it wasn't necessarily what was good in my world this week. It's been what's good in my world for like a month. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited. I, of course, um, have so much love for my colleagues at Penn State and It's not um, a move without loss, but I am very excited to be staying here, to be staying close to family, to be staying six minutes from Jessica Luther. There are now two members of Burn All Down in Austin, so I see lots of uh, Austin-centric activities in our future. So, yeah, there you go. 
We are watching so much this week. Apparently, it's the end of May and the French Open has started. Wild. <laughs> Lindsay texted both of us yesterday to tell us, and we were like, no, no. What? There's no way. Apparently, there is a way, and it's already going on. So the French Open is on your televisions. Go watch it. The Monaco Grand Prix, now that we've told you all about this, you have approximately four days from the time it comes out to binge every show. That's a season a day. So you are fully ready for the Monaco Grand Prix next weekend. Yes, you can do it. I believe in you. Tweet me all your reactions. The Men's Championship League Final will be Saturday, May 28th at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern. Liverpool versus Real Madrid. Real Madrid continues to defy expectations. That's who I am betting on and rooting for. If you want to preview, remember that Shireen and Brenda broke it down and argued which team Jessica should root for on both the men's and women's Champs League side. Go listen to that episode if you need a primer before that final. Um, College Softball World Series is in chaos, it is on right now. We saw many upsets this weekend, many ranked teams going down, including top-ranked Florida State. More chaos to come. Lots of great matches, um, so keep an eye on the College Softball World Series. And, of course, the NBA and NHL playoffs keep rolling along. There are games all week and into the weekend on both of those competitions. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down from me and Jessica Luther. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon, of course, is on our web and social media uh, accounts. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire podcast network. You can follow us wherever you follow people or things, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Pay, you know, all the places. For show links and transcripts, please check out our website, Burn It All Down pod.com there you'll also find a link to our merch store over at bonfire and a link to our patreon page thank you to our patrons your support continues to mean the world to us if you want to be a sustaining donor to our show visit patreon.com slash burn it all down that is it for us this week burn on not out and we will see you next week flamethrowers